each and every one of you here with us this morning. And if you are a first time guest or joining us online, we especially welcome you and would love to get to know more about you. For those in the building, if you could, be sure to grab an orange connect card in a seat pocket in front of you, fill it out and drop it off in the giving box on the way out of the auditorium. Or you and those watching online can simply text the word connect to 77411. And we also want to thank everyone for your faithful giving. As a reminder, you can give by grabbing an offering envelope out of the seat pocket in front of you and dropping it off in the giving box on the way out of the auditorium. Or you can give by texting your dollar amount to the number 84321. You can also give online by going to bereanhub.com giving. Once again, we want to thank all of you for joining us today. And remember, we are a church that extends hope and wholeness to broken humanity. Well, if you're saved and you know it, let me hear your hands this morning. Good to see you all here this morning. I want to take a moment to just acknowledge some special guests that I hold in very high esteem. They minister in a foreign field called Southern Missouri. <laughs> Superintendent Don and Vicki Miller are here with us. Would you stand and give them a welcome this morning? So glad to have you here, honored to have you here. Well, tonight begins our annual Network Council, and one of the highlights of Network Council is the ordination service, and we have two of our own that will be receiving credentials tonight, so if you want to join that celebration, begins at 6.30 at New Hope in Urbandale, join us over there, and we're going to acknowledge them this morning, so uh, Matthew and uh, Nicole, would you come to the platform? Matthew and Hannah are coming, and Nicole's coming. Give them a hand as they come. Would you do that? I'm a little bit old school. I don't believe that ministry is a vocation you choose. I believe it's a calling that chooses you. That God puts his hand on your heart and you need to follow that. I remember when I first went into ministry, one of the presbyters said to me, if you can do anything else, then do it. <laughs> because ministry needs to be a constraint, a calling that you can't ignore. And so we wanna acknowledge Nicole Kruger is beginning her journey certified minister credential tonight and was been involved in the Iowa School of Ministry and we're really excited to see how God has used you and how he'll continue to use you and we have a small gift for you just to congratulate you and uh, Matthew and Hannah are doing a great job gift for you as well and what I, this is just like special for me because I remember when this kind of this kid would walk in our front door and expect to be fed on occasion um, with his friends and with Caleb and watching him grow up in church and then giving him the opportunity to serve in a role and now is on our staff full time and he and Hannah are leading the children's program and I think they do a phenomenal job in what they're doing with our kids. So I count, them, I count them all as family, but count them as almost family, pretty close to family. So I want to say, I know they'll be prayed over tonight and there'll be all the pomp and circumstance, all that goes with that, and it's a wonderful evening. But would you stand with me and just extend your hand toward them as we pray over them for God's blessing on their lives. Lord, we thank you for your love and kindness to us. Thank you for the high, holy calling that you give us the privilege to respond to. Lord, we lift Nicole to you this morning. And as she begins this journey of ministry, vocational call to ministry, that your blessing and anointing would be on her, that you would make the path in front of her clear, and that you would give her open doors for ministry wherever you, uh, wherever you want to open those doors, that lives will be touched, that people will be impacted and lifted up for the kingdom. We commit her to your care and keeping and ask for your anointing to be rich and real on her. And Lord, we thank you this morning for Matt and Hannah and their heart and passion to serve you that's been demonstrated here for the work and commitment they have not only to the kingdom, but to this local body as well. And pray, God, that your anointing tonight will be unique and special. And even this morning, there'll be a fresh touch of your presence upon them. 
God, that you'll bless and anoint them, that they'll receive miracles out of their ministry that you flow through them, that you'll grant the desires of their heart and use them for the building of your kingdom. We thank you for them and commit them to your care and keeping in Jesus' name. And everyone in agreement said? Amen. One more time, express, express your congratulations. How many of you are glad for the love of Jesus Christ in your life? We're continuing our series following some of the commercials from He Gets Us, knowing that it's controversial in some Christian circles. I listened again to another um, podcast about what all is wrong with this commercial series, and I just find it interesting how easy it is for people who aren't doing anything to criticize people who are trying to do something. And I, instead of looking for what's wrong, I've tried to look for what's right. I was watching um, a, a particular crime show, my confession this morning, and I was really surprised to see one of the He Gets Us commercials in the middle of that show. And there's just something about seeing He Gets Us Jesus because we do have a high priest who gets us. He's touched with a feeling of our infirmity. He knows where you've been and what you've gone through. And what I really enjoy about this particular um, video, not so much a commercial, deals with artificial intelligence. And I know there's a great number of um, concerns being raised about artificial intelligence, but I'm telling you, watching what's happening in our world, there might be something to gain with some artificial intelligence being spread around just a little bit. I would like to silence some of the voices in our world and let a computer speak through them. We start off with Jesus loved loud because he lived loud, that Jesus loved louder than labels and Jesus loved louder than adults. And this morning I want you to consider this, that Jesus loved louder than pretense. And this whole artificial intelligence idea has many people concerned that artificial intelligence is going to take over the world, that these computer programs are going to get together and plot to destroy you. And the people who are worried about that don't really understand what artificial intelligence is. Artificial intelligence can only operate within the parameters for which it's been programmed and the data that it has been given access to. It cannot initiate, create on its own, or join together in a conference. So at this point, unless something really radical changes, which it could, you are in no jeopardy of being gobbled up in some science fiction movie that will destroy you and machines rule the world. But it is interesting what artificial intelligence can do. We were playing around with that in the office, chat GPT, and went on there and asked it some questions and to do some things. And I asked it to prepare a 30-minute sermon on the love of God. And pr I promise you I won't preach that, but it was pretty good. <laughs> Pastor Tim, it's better than some I've heard in other places. It was not bad. Um, and then we asked it to write a worship chorus. 
Pastor Nathan was in there and we thought about, and it gave us a lead chart and chord progressions. And I just want to read to you what artificial intelligence wrote. It said, in awe of you, our hearts bow down, our souls sing out with joyful sound. Your love surrounds us like a shield. In you, we find our strength to yield. The second verse, the stars above declare your fame. The mountains high proclaim your name. The glory shines in every land. Your mercy covers like a band. Yeah, that's a little cheesy. The chorus says, holy, 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 Lord, all creation, with one accord lifts our voices to declare your majesty, we, you, uh, your love we share. And it's contemporary enough that it even adds a bridge. We stand in wonder of your grace and lift our hearts to seek your face. May our worship be a pleasing sound to you, our king, forever crowned. That's not bad. That's pretty good. So I'm going to start checking with Pastor Nathan the source of the things we sing from now on. Where did that actually come from? But there's a, a challenging part of that that we have to begin to work through and understand. There are concerns that science has created something that can think for itself, but in true definition, artificial intelligence is still a tool of mankind and sometimes gets it wrong. Brian Hood, who's mayor of Hepburn, Sharon, Australia, was informed that chat GP named him as having been convicted of a bribery scandal 20 years ago. The scandal was real and Hood was involved, but he's the one who went to authorities, not the one who was convicted of the crime. And artificial intelligence produced a document that said he was guilty because it still is garbage in, garbage out. What goes in comes out. It depends on the information that it has access to. Artificial intelligence is more artificial than intelligent. It does not currently have the capacity for emotive or sentient processing. We have a capacity different than just our ability to think. We have emotive capacities and volitional capacities that are different than anything that could artificially be created. And so the conclusion that the video brings in asking artificial intelligence to create scenarios, scenarios is that Jesus' love was never artificial. It was never artificial. The opposite of that is his love was sincere. Now the English word that gets translated from a Greek word in a number of translations, the English word sincere is a combination of two words that means without wax. When I was a youth pastor, I spoke somewhere and someone complimented me and I thought, I didn't know what it meant, said, I appreciate that you are without wax. I had no idea what that meant. I thought it was a candle that was already burnt out. I didn't know what they meant by that. But in um, Bible era times, what would happen is when a sculptor or artist created a piece, a potter created a piece, if there was a crack or a chip, they would take wax and mix it with some of the dust from the original work and smear it in the cracks so that you couldn't see the chip or the crack. And so you would buy it as though it was a whole solid piece, but what would happen is when heat was applied or pressure was applied, the wax would ooze out and you'd find out that it wasn't what it pretended to be. It had flaws that were being hidden by a camouflage of sorts. And so when it talks about love being without dissimulation, it's talking about love that is not pretentious, love that does not have hypocrisy, but love that is sincere, unauthentic. And that's what I want to talk to you about this morning is the authentic love of God that needs to be manifested in our lives to a world that's around us because nothing artificial will ever replace the genuine work of God in our lives and the love of God that he wants to flow through us. How many believe that to be true? What does that look like? Well, the Bible is very clear that Jesus loved with sincerity. John 15, 13 says, my command is this. How many are ready this morning? Seven. Great. Great. The rest of you can join us. My command is this. Love each other as I have loved you. That is a tall order. <laughs> is there anyone that would like to stand up and say, I am doing everything that Jesus said. 
I love people to the same extent that Jesus loved us. If you want to see the love of Jesus manifested, just look at me. Anyone want to volunteer for that example? And yet that's what he calls us to, that we're to love one another as he has loved us. And greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. We're to love as he loved us. We're to lay down our lives. Now think about that. This is a command that he gives to love. And those two concepts don't often go together. How many of you know that from a purely human perspective, you can't command someone to love someone? Let's try that again. That was good stuff. I just just want you to get this. <laughs> How many of you know that you can't, if someone commands you to love somebody, that that doesn't satisfy the matter? You can't be commanded to love. And, let, and yet Jesus is saying to, that he has a command that we love others the way he's loved us. So there must be something in that that we need to understand, that we need to grab hold of, that maybe what he's saying to us is that we need to enter into the same source of love that he had and let that same source flow out of our lives, that we're to love one another as he loved. And the measure of that, greater love is known this than that a man lay down his life for his friends. Some of you don't have as many friends as you think you do if that's the definition. How many people in your life, now be honest, or continue to pretend that you're not hearing me, either, either way is good for me. How many, of you, how many people in your life would you be willing to die in their place? Oh, I'm, I'm I just, everybody. <laughs> really? Let's go outside and put that to the test and see how that works out. I'm going to be honest with you. There are a lot of people I like, a lot of people I say I love, a lot of people I care for, but if it came down to me dying for them, it's not going to happen. Anybody want to join me in some honesty this morning? I love this church. Now don't get mad at me, but some of you I'm not laying it down for. Is any, you get what I'm saying? It's, it requires something deeper than our human capacity to be able to provide. How can you get to a place that love is so sincere that your goal and driver is to love others the way that God loved you and get to the place that you're willing to die for other members of the body of Christ? You say, well, if it came to that, I probably would. I'm just saying to you, that is a high order, a high calling, a a difficult one. I have, uh, I'm so tempted to go down this road, but you already look like you're arguing with me in your heads. Um, I have a number of ministry colleagues that I hold in high regard. But would I be willing to die for them? I will tell you, I would die for my wife. I would take her place without a thought. I would die for my kids. And if you mess with my grandkids, you're going to (laughs) die. Is anybody hearing me now? I'm saying to you that, yes, there are some people, but it's not, it's not this broad, generic, read over it, put it on the wall, and think you've accomplished that. That it's a calling to love with sincerity, is to love the way that he loved, and he loved uniquely, and demonstrated that love in ways that are almost beyond human comprehension. What is the context The context for that statement is the vine and the branches. And he's calling the disciples to understand that the branch gets its life from the vine. And there's only one way for you to love others the way that Jesus loves, and that's for you to do more than pray a prayer or come to a service. It's for your branch to be tied into the vine. And when the life of the vine is flowing into the branch, the life of the vine becomes the life of the branch, 
And then the branch begins to produce fruit based on the life that comes not from the branch, but from the vine. And the only way we can even begin to move in any kind of sincere love toward one another is to make sure the life source of God is flowing into us, which means there has to be a living, ongoing walk with him that he talks with us and he chastens us and he builds us and he corrects us and he empowers us. You can't do this without supernatural power in your life. The supernatural power of God. The context is vine and the branches. And yet he calls us to that. Love the way I have loved. Paul writes about it this way. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man. Very rarely. It's a rare kind of love. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, though for a good man, someone might possibly dare to die. But here's the miracle. But God demonstrates his love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. I've just said to you, I'd die for my wife, my kids, my grandkids, my family. But I can't think of a person that I've driven by or uh, in a parking lot or walked by in a store that I don't know. A guy standing on a street corner saying, we'll work for food. I'm not sure I'd be willing to die for any of those. Come on, someone help me this morning. I'm not sure I'm in that spot. But God sent his son while we were yet sinners when we weren't in a place to be deserving what happened Jesus came from heaven to earth became a man lived among us hung on the cross and cries out father forgive them for they know not what they do I'm saying to you we have a long ways to go before we enter into that kind of love but it should be our driver because that's the way he loved He loved supernaturally. He loved in a way that's beyond human understanding. Earlier in John chapter 15, he talks about a progressive relationship that he had with the disciples. He said, you once were servants, but I no longer call you servants, but I call you friends, for a servant doesn't know what his Lord and Master does. And in 1 Peter, we're told, to this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin, no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He bore our sins in his body on the tree so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness by his wounds you have been healed. What's he telling us? That those who hurled insults at him, he suffered at their hands. He didn't retaliate. He didn't make any threats and I, my nature isn't, isn't wired that way. When I get rejected or abused or mistreated or insulted or lied about, love is not the emotion that flows to the top most of the time. I want God to put you out of my misery. But what did he do? They spit on him. I said they spit on him. They whipped him. They mocked him. They put a crown of thorns on his head. They nailed him to a cross. And in spite of all of the abuse and all of the ridicule and all the suffering and all the pain, you want to see sincere love? You'll see it hanging on a cross when Jesus cries out, Father, forgive them. How many agree with me? We have a ways to go. We have a ways to go. How do you get there? You go deeper and deeper in your relationship with Jesus. And I'll tell you what I know to be true. If your marriage has lost its spark, you need to go deeper with Jesus. Because there'll be a love rekindled when you get into the presence of God. Anybody believe that? If you're having trouble at work, and that boss over you is a jerk, and you don't know how you're going to survive day by day, I'm not telling you that you shouldn't take action over misbehavior, but I'm telling you that you need to make sure your heart is clean, that it's pure. And the only way to resolve that is to go deeper in your relationship with Jesus because love isn't a course. Love isn't a practice. Love isn't a discipline. Love is a supernatural inflowing of the spirit and power of God. And when you feel hatred 
or anger or animosity. You can't fake that. I can't command you to love people, but the deep love of Jesus flowing into you, shed abroad in your heart, will give you love for people that aren't lovable. We need a deepening relationship with him. Jesus loved with sincerity. And you know that we tend toward insincere love. Rough crowd this morning. Maybe I should just give the altar call right now. How many of you would admit that human nature towards love tends to be insincere? Romans chapter 12 verse 9 says this, love must be sincere, hate what is evil, cling to what is good. And I was prepping for this message and I thought, well, how does love manifest itself in an insincere way? And I just began to jot some things down. So this isn't in a book anywhere. This isn't a research project. I just said, I just began to think, where have I seen it? And I want to just suggest to you some of the manifestations of insincere love that I've observed over the years of ministry. I've been doing, I've been involved in ministry now for three or four months and I'm, I'm kind of getting my feet underneath me. But I've observed some things over the years that I want to share with you. I've watched a form of love that I'd call transactional love. Transactional love is insincere. It's a love that says, I will love you if you love me. I'll be kind to you if you're kind to me. And it reciprocates based on what it receives. You love someone for what you get out of the relationship. And unfortunately, many marriages in the United States are built on transactional love. I love her because how she makes me feel. I love him for how he makes me feel. I love this person for what I get out of the relationship. And transactional love only lasts as long as you're on the receiving end of the transaction. I've watched it again and again and again. I'll love you if I get what I want out of the relationship. Then there's what I would call, uh, let me back up and say agape love is self-sacrificing, not transactional. Agape love gives because love is what God does, not because of what it gets. God so loved that he gave. It wasn't a transaction, it was a gift. Second, I've watched what I would describe as pretentious love. (laughs) Artificial and overly expressive. (laughs) As long as you're just looking at me, I'm just gonna keep messing. It's kind of entertaining. I was told years ago that people that are overly expressive publicly in their displays of affection to their spouse are likely not getting along at home. When you have something to prove out in public, I was sitting in a, some kind of a meal we had downstairs a few years ago. And I watched a couple. He was in a wheelchair. He had some physical disease, couldn't talk really, couldn't really sit up straight. And I thought, this is amazing to watch her. She would sit him up. She would feed him, ask him if there was anything that he needed. She'd care for him, wipe his mouth. And I thought, wow, that's a manifestation of love. And she was just over the top, loving and complimenting and caring for him. And he wasn't responding to it. And I thought it's just because of his um, um, declining health and probably some mental issues are involved here because he's not responding at all. Well, I had to come upstairs to get something. I forget what it was. People were beginning to leave and I walked into the auditorium and as I walked out, I saw her pushing the wheelchair and they got to the doors right out here and I heard her yell, why can't you at least try to sit up? And then she slapped him upside the head and said, I'm tired of having to take care of every, you can't do a thing without me. Do you know that was real and the other was pretentious? A fake love, a pretentious love. Uh, (laughs) Pastor Don, I've learned over the years too, 
that the first person who greets you and tells you how wonderful you are when you've never met them probably has a knife ready to lay in your back. First church we went to, I walked in the door and it was a home missions church. We went in the door of the church and um, I didn't even get elected there. The superintendent said, they're never gonna know the vote. We can't get anybody to go, but if you'll go there, I'll appoint you. And so we went in and this lady came out. Oh, I'm so glad you're here. We just love you guys and we've heard all about you. And on and on she went and she was the first one to leave and the first one to cause us trouble. It's a fake love. It's over the top. It's love that's hiding something, pretending to be something that it's not. There's transactional love, there's pretentious love. And then I've also observed over the years what I would call manipulative love. It differs from transactional because it's not based on what you get out of someone, rather it's based on how you want them to behave. And so love is withheld if it doesn't get the behavior that it wants. You love someone in order to get them to do something for you. And if you ever had someone butter you up about how wonderful you are and pat you on the back, knowing that the kicker was coming, there was a string attached. There was a string attached. Again, the first church we pastored, we had a need in the church. Doesn't sound like much today, but we, we had a, a piano or something, something that we had bought and we needed $600 and we couldn't pay our bills and didn't know how we we're going to do this. And a man walked in and he said, here, God's told me to give you $600. And he put $600 on my desk. And I knew he talked about how much he loved us and how much he loved the church, but I knew there were going to be strings attached. So I called my pastor and I said, I don't know what to do. And he said, do you need the $600? Yes, we do. Are there strings attached? I said, yes, they are. He said, can you ignore the strings? I said, yes, I can. He said, cash the check. <laughs> and what will happen, he'll either quit giving or he'll leave, which is exactly what happened because he was trying to pay his way into a position of prominence. It's a love that's manipulative. It loves so you can shape someone and make them behave. Transactional, pre uh, presumptive, manipulative love. And then I've also watched what I would call um, pretentious love and lastly, presumptuous love. <laughs> this is the funniest to watch because presumptuous love just assumes that you are so wonderful, everyone is gonna love you. It presumes on a love relationship. You know you're the smartest person in the, in the room. You know that you're the most outstanding person in your field. And I remember talking to a young minister not that long ago, and he was curious in a position that we had open, and we had conversation about that position. And I said, look, I'm not offering you a position. You're employed by another church, another pastor. I'd want to have a conversation with him, and I'm not offering you anything. I'm just explaining what the position is, but there's nothing being offered. He went back and told his pastor I offered him a job. Pastor called me and said, I thought we were friends. I said, we are. Well, you offered my staff pastor a job and didn't even talk with me. I said, I did not. And right now, there's not even, I wouldn't talk to him if he called me because if you're gonna lie about me, I'm not interested. So then I saw him later and in my subtle, gentle. <laughs> I kind of eased into the conversation. Who was that? Where did that, where did, where did that come? Right over, okay. I, I need a couple ushers up here right now. Right, right over here. I saw him and I said, I told you I wasn't offering you a position. I know. And I said, so why did you tell your pastor I was? He looked me in the eye and said, because who wouldn't want to hire me? Well, I know one guy. I know one guy. It presumes that you are lovable. It presumes that everybody Everybody has warm feelings toward you and you're blind to the impact you're having on people around you. Nobody wants to hear you talk all the time. Put that on your refrigerator. <laughs> Love is relational. 
So I'd suggest to you that if we're going to walk in sincere love, it has to have guardrails. The context for love must be sincere, hate what is evil, do what is good, or cling to what is good, gives you guardrails. It's an odd kind of construct there. Love must be sincere and says, how are you going to be sincere in your love? It's not what I would think. I would think, take a class on how to win friends and influence people. Learn how people respond. Be warmer. But that's not what he says. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil and cling to what is good. That you have to have boundaries and parameters around you. If your love is going to be without hypocrisy, you have to know what is right and you have to know what is wrong or your love will get perverted by misunderstanding of righteousness and values. And he's saying the only way for your love to be sincere is if you can see what is right and what is wrong and set guardrails around your life. Sincere without hypocrisy, cling to what is good, and hate what is evil. Well, that would change a lot of things in our culture, wouldn't it? We're living in a culture where right is wrong and wrong is right. I never imagined, and I'm sorry if this offends you. Actually, I'm not. I'm sorry if you get offended. (laughs) Pastor Tim, I never imagined a day that we would argue about what pronouns to use. But when I say that, I have to look over my shoulder because I know there's a day coming where someone will be coming after me for that. It's borderline hate speech today. And you can do whatever you want. Love gets perverted. Love gets hypocritical. Love gets all convoluted when you don't know what is evil and you don't know what is good. The only way your love can be sincere, filled with the life and love of God, is when you build yourself around, I'm going to cling to what is good. I'm going to hate what is evil. And in that context or construct, the life of God can flow in me and out of that can flow the love of God. I don't hate you because I disagree with you. I disagree with you because I love you. And I'm going to hate what is evil and cling to what is good. We tend toward insincerity. But we're called to a life of sincere living. 1 Peter 1.22, my command is this. Love each other as I have loved you. Greater love is no one than a man laid down his life for his friends. What does sincere love look like? Well, here's what it looks like. Let me read you a verse that Peter quotes to us. I'm sorry, that was in John. Let me give you the first Peter verse. This is a great verse. Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth so that you have sincere love for the brethren, love one another deeply from the heart. There are two words for love in that verse. There's a word phileo and the word agape. From agape, we get the concept of divine, supernatural, sacrificial love that gives. Phileo is a word that we more often use with the word like. It's love of brethren. It's people you share something in common with. It's someone that you like. How many know there are times in your life with people in your family, you would say to them, I love you, but I don't like you. Anybody ever say that? I can love you and not like you. And he's calling the church to both. This is, some of you aren't going to sleep tonight. I, it's just going to mess you up so much. But not only do you have to have the love of God in your life for me, you have to actually like me. Well, I'm certainly going to another church next week. I can't do this. (laughs) It's not enough to have sacrificial love. You need to have an affection for the family of God and the people of God. And listen to me. This is going to be a little harsh, but I don't know how else to say it. If you don't like people, you're not going to heaven. If you don't like anybody... You're demonstrating that the life source of the vine is not flowing into your branch. And if everybody is your enemy, there is something broken in you. And in the body of Christ, we need to not only have the love of God, we need to have phileo love, love of the brethren, that we have affection for one another. And it's really interesting the progression that he makes. He says, now that you've purified yourself by obeying the truth, so you have sincere love for the brothers. 
That's phileo. If you're going to like the brothers and sisters in Christ, you've got to do a couple of things. You have to purify yourself and you have to obey the truth. And when we're walking in purity and obedience to the truth, we will all like each other. But he goes on from there. Now that you've discovered how to like each other, don't forget that you need to love one another deeply, agape love. (sighs) Because if I build my relationship with you on liking you, there are some days, some of you aren't real likable. I know I'm just a big, warm, fuzzy teddy bear, but the rest of the world. I know there are days I'm not likable. Come on, help me now. Come on, it's okay. Admit it because we're all thinking it. There are days that you're not likable and people aren't likable and you're having a bad day. And he's saying you can't build your relationship with the body of Christ on whether you have affection for the body. But if you purify your heart and obey the truth, you'll have an affection. But will, what will stabilize you in those other times is the life of God flowing in you, agape love. It's what holds us together. I can have agape for you when my phileo for you is, is uh, weakening. And agape will bring me back to phileo. If I really have the love of God in me, I will continue to like the body of Christ. Someone are hearing me this morning. That's the life we're called to. We're called to walk in that kind of sincere love. And then right alongside that, wrapping it together, he calls us not only to a sincere love, but we're called to a sincere faith. And it says this, as I urged you, I went to Macedonia to stay there in Ephesus so that you may... Um, so that you may command certain men not to teach false doctrine. They're promoting controversies. And then he goes on to say, the goal of this command, to stand in the way, is to say that this comes from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Sincere love produces a sincere faith, and sincere faith will also stand in the way of anything that destroys the health of the body of Christ. Sincere love, a sincere faith. And then last, he talks about a sincere wisdom. In James chapter 3, the wisdom that comes from above is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy, full of good fruit, impartial, and sincere. Paul warns us in 1 Corinthians that love, I mean, I'm sorry, that knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. That the real measure of wisdom isn't on the facts that you now possess, or the degrees behind your name, or how many trivia games you can win. The real mark of sincere wisdom is how you've set your life to learn more in lifelong learning for the purpose of building up the body of Christ, not to show people how smart you are. Are you building the body of Christ? We're called to a life of sincerity. I don't get a lot of good things from Facebook. But I came across one that I, oh, this, I may put this one on my wall. You ready? Don't listen to criticism from someone you would not go to for advice. That's pretty good. Don't listen to criticism from someone you would not go to for advice because knowledge is intended to be relational and build us up. There's no room in the kingdom of God for artificial saints. I said there's no room in the kingdom of God for artificial saints. And I said to you earlier that he's the vine, we're the branch. And the only way we can move closer to his model of love is to have an unrestricted life flow from the vine into the branch. And for a moment, I'd like for us to consider that. And I've asked Pastor Tim to come and join with Pastor Nathan. It's an old, old song, but it's one of my favorites. 
because it talks about how deep the love of God is. Could we take just a little bit to contemplate how deep the love of God is? If we could fill the ocean with ink to write about it would drain it dry. Just shut yourself in for a moment and let God talk to you about his life source of love. try to let this message talk to me before I preach it and I just realize how much more I need his love poured into my life I've been put to that test recently 
in ways that I never expected to have happened. And I will tell you, it's easy to get wounded, to become bitter and angry, but it can't stay. (sighs) It can't have entrance. It can't come with you you when you come before the throne of grace to obtain mercy and find grace to help in your time of need. I imagine everyone in this house could say, I need more of the love of God in my life. I need more of the love of God in my life. Could we stand together? And I don't know, here's how I'd like to end. I don't know if you can jump in the middle. Can you just do that chorus again? And I'm asking that you would make this your prayer, that that amazing love of God that flows so freely through the vine would find an unrestricted flow into my branch, into your branch. While they sing that chorus one more time, would you ask God for that dispensation of his grace? recognizing our need for a greater flow of your sincere love into, through, and out of our lives. Help us hunger for that, strive for that, and learn how to walk in your love for us and for the world around us. Let this be a place where your love is manifest and let our lives be such that we communicate that to the world around us. I ask in Jesus' name and everyone that loves him said, amen, amen, amen. If you love the Lord, let me hear your hands this morning. What a great God we serve. What a great God we serve. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for your faithful support, all you're doing for the kingdom. Don't forget the ordination service tonight. Turn to someone, shake their hand, and let them know you really do like them.